Welcome to the Race Forward Pod. I'm your host, Lydia Igwe. Diversity, equity and inclusion can never be achieved without having people at the heart of it. There is undeniable value in co-creating racial equality and equitable solutions with those with lived experience. Today, I'm joined by the fantastic Javid Thomas. Javid is an executive director at the Collaboratory and co-founder of Race Equality Matters, a UK initiative that aims to create positive change and tackle racial inequality in the workplace. Javid will be sharing insights on creating collaborations that ensure everyone is represented and heard to drive sustainable change. Javid has many years of experience and has developed several highly effective initiatives addressing DE&I and mental wellness in the workplace, including initiatives such as the This Is Me and the hugely successful Green Ribbon campaign, reaching millions of people and transforming attitudes to mental health. Lovely to see you again, Lydia. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Now, you're a man of many talents, uh, although you're probably going to be really humble about it. But you've always worked in the spaces that promote and support various humanity initiatives, charities, not-for-profit organisations. Has this always been your passion? Yeah, I think I know. So years and years ago, I was actually in finance and banking and I used to volunteer, you know, in in a bit of spare time. Not not, not much, but I, I used to love that. And I did my job, but there's a very different feeling. And then I left banking and I tried to get into the charity sector. And I, actually, I tried, it took me about 12 months to get into the charity sector. Uh, and it's primarily a computer. I, I typed in lots of things about myself and a computer said, you should work in banking. And the second thing it said is actually radio producer. I'll maybe say that later. Wow. <laughs> and the third one was actually charity sector. Okay. So, you know, I, and so I, I tried and I thought I'll give myself two years. And otherwise, I can go back into banking, you know. Uh, and actually, yeah, since then, absolutely. So, what is brilliant is, um, you know, you know I'm, I'm able to sort of, you know, in effect, earn money with my passion, which is quite rare, I think, for a lot of people. So, you know, so a couple of decades later, maybe, you know, I, I'm still, it's, it's worked out really, really well. So, yeah. Wow. What, what quiz was this? I'm intrigued, honestly. It just looks into a like telescope and says, oh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was, but I think you know how many people you know talking to you know got two two um, teenagers. How how do they know what careers they want? You know, when I, when I was younger, all I knew was teachers and and someone that works in a bank. That's all I knew. You know, um, so there was no other. You know, I was never going to go to university or any of the other things. So um, and I, I knew I didn't want to. I was I was rubbish at labouring, so I'd never want to work in the building sites and everything. I, I, I admire people to do it. So, yeah, it's very hard to find. But you know, this computer is like an algorithm. So it was green screen at the time, I think. And then it you know, came up. And I think why I rated it, it said banking, you'd be great at banking. And I was in it. So you give it some credit. Uh, and then, then it said this other thing. So, but yeah, we all, we all need some guidance sometimes. Um, Definitely. Yeah. It's a no-brainer that Green Park and the collaboratory, you know, collaborate and want to form such a powerful movement like Race Equality Matters. So to champion for action on commitments and drive action, not words, which is something I regularly see you talk about on LinkedIn and pretty much everywhere. So that's amazing that you've launched Race Equality Matters. Can you tell us a little bit about how it all started? I met Raj Tulsiani of Chief Executive of Green Park um, and and co-founder now, in effect, of Race Equality Matters um, quite a few years ago. And then about three years ago, we were talking about collaborating on race, but nothing kind of quite worked. And to be honest, if I did all this stuff then, or if we did all this stuff then, it would have failed. 
and then I, I remember um, shortly after, you know, the, you know the things were going on in the race space in, 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 in the lead up to the George Floyd murder, especially because of COVID and, and you know, frontline staff in hospitals. And then the George Floyd murder, and you could just see this something was going on. You started to have the demonstrations across the UK. And then I, I picked, picked up the phone to him and said, look, Raj, I think if we don't do it now, we never will do it. You know, this is our last chance. And what we did, we carried out some research um, with 70 um, key people, and they were they were senior leaders of organizations, race network leaders, and then race and um, diversity experts. And we asked questions, and the findings were not shocking, or very disappointing, very negative, but we were never going to create a report or a charter because it makes no difference. So, but what was very clear from this and there was this option of hope, especially for ethnic minority and black people. Yeah, this is a chance. Yeah, now's the time. But no one knew really what to do to make a difference. So that's when we came up with it. Well, we need to start creating solutions. And that's why Race Quality Matters was born. So about, so about September last year, it, it was born. And then the, the whole thing is, you know, what we said, actually, the people must be the heart of it. So everything we do is co-created by those with lived experience. And that was kind of the, the ethics we did. Raj is a very... Um, maybe like me, he challenges the status quo. And, and, and in effect, that's where the phrase, it wasn't our idea, again, it's someone else's idea, that let's not go back to normal. I think that's what we've tried to do. So if someone's doing something, we won't copy it. Let other great organisations do that. We, we try to do something new. Yeah, and thank God you did. And I'm, you know, like I say, really proud that Race Quality Matters now exists and it is making a difference. And, you know, something that just was born out of, a problem which still exists, but at least you're creating this, you know, eclectic mix of sustainable solutions. Now, you are focused on amplifying the voices of the marginalised through partnerships and campaigns. You have several to drive sustainable change and race equality. So, how can this be tied into organisational DNI strategies? So, we think the solutions, and this is for any, I'm going to use the word protective characteristic you know, and, and mental health, uh, any issues that um, impact on people's lives. So we think the solutions are all out there. It might be a little um, small firm in, in Cornwall doing something, or it could be in America or New Zealand. We think they're all out there, but they're all disparate. You know, it's never been pulled together and everyone works in isolation. So you've got, you know, DNI agencies and even DNI departments and companies, but they're very little getting together. If there is getting together, it might be the same sector or the same people. And, and then you, by default, you've got group think. And, you know, so our, our whole thing, and I, I would say there isn't much collaboration overall. You know, we try to collaborate with some organizations and, and don't, don't, don't come in. But what we've identified is there are people with passion. And I would say like yourself, Lydia, you know, really care about this and are willing to get together and say, how can we solve this? You know, I guess we're quite good facilitators for race quality matters. We kind of, what, what's the problem and how do we tackle it? And you hear about things about unconscious bias training, but where's the evidence that it makes a difference? But Last summer onwards, the number of organizations that are now running or rerunning unconscious bias training, but where's the evidence making a difference? So our whole thing is don't do it if it's not going to make a difference. And I think quite often DNI departments, I have mixed views on them. Some, some are good and, and some are less good. You know, they try things and it goes wrong. And then the organization say, well, actually, you know, we're, we're not set up for tackling race or, you know, etc. So that's why we think, well, hold on, if it's a really good idea and it's working, why don't we amplify it? Why don't we scale it up? And we test these ideas past large organizations, could be Barclays, Bank of England, Sainsbury's, to small boutique organizations and, and cross sectors, lots of not-for-profits. Say, look, would this work in your thing and how do we make it work? 
we've just basically got people with passion who all give their time for free, like, like, like yourself, Lydia, if I'm allowed to say that, to help us build these solutions. And then we offer it for free. So uh, it does make it difficult because we're not for profit. But we know even if we charge £50 for a solution, there'll be an excuse within that organization. You know, we've got no budget or we've already spent money on race, etc. And what we would say, I've got two, two thoughts on this. All our solutions could work on any protected characteristic. But I think really important, because they've been co-created by ethnic minority colleagues across the country, I think we need to be fair and true to them that we actually run it for race first. Because otherwise what will happen is it'll be, you'll do six, you know, it's a tea break, you do 12 years, six will be on gender, three on disability, two on LGBTQ and one on race. So again, those, you know, who are, you know, um, suffer racial inequality end up being on the, on, on, on the bottom again. So, but a really interesting, very few DNI leads get involved in race equality matters but people like yourselves and others with the passion see this is making a difference so i guess it's a question there for them to why aren't they getting involved yes definitely and you talked about co-creating with obviously those that have lived experience so you focus a lot on the communities that you work in and those with lived experience why is this important you touched a little bit on, on that but you know why is it important to turn declarations of commitment into meaningful change and to focus on lived experience. Yeah. There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of presentations. And if you, if you go to you know, an, an event or, or, or a talk and you leave away, right, what have I learned that can help change in our organization? And there's some fantastic speakers, but what have you learned? You know, what, what I call it cutter base, what can you take back to your organization or run in your community? I think I'm quite good at hearing what I think is a good idea. That this sounds different. Let, let's do, do, do something about this. Then, then it's actually getting the getting the feedback from those with lived experience, and they may say, "No, that will never work. That's not right." Or you know, that they'll be really challenging. And, and you know, I've got so every idea we come through, I've got hundred on the floor that have been rejected <laughs> by um, by people say, say. But quite often we say, "Well, hold on, yeah." If they said, "Well, senior leaders won't get involved," okay, we can solve that problem. If if getting senior leaders involved will make and running this solution will make a difference, then it's doable. You know, or, or, or people say, actually, actually, we know our ethnic minority colleagues won't want to get involved in this. But I said, if they would, would, this, would you run this? Absolutely. So then it's kind of understanding what are the barriers and then removing the barriers. And then we find remarkable organizations like Amy Unison or others who have run them. And then we say, look, they ran it and look at the difference it's had. Their people are saying, this is, this is life-changing. So, so they're, they're a real... All our solutions go through about 12 filters of people with lived experience. So we know at the end it's been quite robustly. And I would say I have to be resilient at times, some of the feedback I'm getting. But, <laughs> I, but and that's why I'd say, you know, um, once I get an idea that people are really um, thinking there's, there's hope there, but there are a lot of naysayers. So there are a lot of people blocking. But I go, no, hold on. I've spoken to the likes of um, Lydia and others, all different experiences and different backgrounds and different communities and sectors. And they think there's something in this. So I'm going to stick with this to, make, to get it through. And then you'll find your early adopters that, that will, will, will give it a go. So I think it's, that's why these things are, are, are brilliant. And none of them are my original idea. I will say that. You know, I've heard something comes from somewhere else and then we just build it and adapt it for, you know, everyone. Brilliant. And you have the Race Equality Network that you've now also set up, which is a UK-wide network of other race equality networks. What's your vision for this? And are you going to make it global or, you know, what taught me through where you're trying to go with this? It's a really good question. So initially we thought the race network leads of organisation was going to be, you know, the, the, the heart of this. But the first hundred of 
people that engage with us, only seven were from the networks. Others were not so. So, so, and then what we realized, and then it, when it became about a thousand people engaged, you know, that the, the number was maybe sort of a hundred. So we knew the majority were not from race network leaders, et cetera. But, but there was this nine, other 900 with passion. So we didn't want to exclude them. Uh, and actually they became, they became the heart and the drumbeat. So we, 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 we'd done that. But now a year on, you know, we've got over 500 race network leaders in, in the community and then others, what we call future leaders, which are important. And what we've identified, they, they don't typically get the, the support, the skill or the training or development opportunities others do. So by default, race networks or any networks can fail if you haven't got the skill set. So one thing we're trying to do is how do we um, provide people talent with the skills? You know, if you haven't been taught or shown things, you know, it, 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 you know you're, you're on a back foot. And the, the other thing is, is the race network leaders is actually, they feel quite isolated. And it's been a very traumatic time um, in the last 12 months. Um, you know, they've been inundated, been a real support group, but they're quite isolated overall. Um, so what we're trying to do is pull everyone together. So last week or two weeks ago, we held our first race network leaders event. And the focus was 12 months on what's changed. And actually, it wasn't to be about negative. We got quick data and it was overall not much has changed. But what we wanted to hear from race network leaders, what has changed for the good in their organization, whether they've done it or their leaders done it. But we could just share these sprinklings of hope. And the feedback from people, I think it was 97 or 98% of those that attended. And you could say a typical, difficult topic, 12 months on what's changed. Yeah, they were inspired and would recommend other people to come. We had uh, many breakout sessions and they were learning from each other. And I, I you know, I, I, I was learning tons from that. So the idea is just to grow this because the, the people afterwards we think, do we do you think this just this one session, it was only an hour, will help you tackle race inequality in organization? I think it was 80% said yes. So, you know, we do more then, word of mouth, more come. We do know some are starting to run some of this stuff abroad. We have no real ambition. Mirage may say something different of it going global. But I, th- I think is we don't want to stretch ourselves too, too far. But, you know, we have quite a few global organizations involved with us. So please do use it. And, you know, they do run Race Equality Week across Europe. Some are running tea break in America and, and things like that. And that's absolutely fine. But you know, we, we want to start with the people in the UK first and then show success. And then, you know, who, who, who knows from there? Wow. Do you sleep? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on. But it sounds like data is absolutely key for you to be measuring this impact. Do you have specific data or metrics that you're, you know, measuring to help you decide on what initiatives to prioritise? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Without knowing, looking back over time, I've worked on mental health and children with trauma. I have been gathering data without knowing I was gathering data. Uh, at one stage, I was, I was called, I think, the, um, the survey monkey king sort of thing, <laughs> Justin, because <laughs> I was doing it all. You know, we have to have a survey. We have to get some data uh, and, and feedback. Yeah, so what we kind of do at all our engagements with, with, with people and, uh, and our events, and we typically would have, like, say, 100 plus different companies there, we kind of ask at the beginning, you know, have things improved? We want to sort of get a barometer. Have, th- have things improved? And, and, you know, an important thing, how, what's the buy-in of your leadership? And we have noticed it is, it is slowly improving, which is great. But little has changed. Uh, and then what we're also finding is actually they don't know what to do. At the end of our event, 
whether we're talking about one of our solutions, safe space or tea break, et cetera, or the big promise, you know, we spend time going through it. And then we ask them at the end, do you think this will help your leaders support you in tackling race inequality? And it, the score is about typically 73, 74% plus all the time from different people. Some are race network leads, some are DNI leads, and everyone's Feels, feels different. And an important one, a stat I never ever thought about, and it's still very low, it's on average about 23%. We always ask them, do you think your leaders and managers are comfortable talking about race? I never thought about this before, but on average, it's about 23% say, yes, they're comfortable. The rest, no. Wow. Well, actually, Mm, not really but yeah yeah, yeah. but I've never <laughs> thought about it for that and maybe that's the re- and so actually people you know and you get you know that's why maybe it's avoided it's easy to talk about gender so we're doing our DNI bit it's easy to talk about disability and LGBTQ plus and mental health has become more comfortable it's easier so that's why you get more energy and you know, your chief exec or directors yeah I'll talk at an LGBTQ plus event but when it's got a race event, they're very, very, very nervous. But at the end, we asked, do you think this will help your leaders and managers be more comfortable talking about race? And again, yeah, again, the majority say, so we're seeing the solution. So I've created solutions in the background with those with lived experience and they think it's good. We then roll this out and run workshop and the feedback is, is it's going to make a real, real difference. So we're always checking, you know, is this still right? Is it making a difference? And then we ask people once they run them, you know, how did it go? And then sort of six months later, what impacts it's had? It's still early days, but anecdotally, people are saying, you know, wow, you know, the chief exec now comes to me in a massive organization and asks me for my opinion and not just about race, you know, and they said, I've become more visible in the organization when actually, you know, they were a middle manager, but never treated like a middle manager or, or above. So it's really changing. Another saying, actually, we got more people now joining our network because we ran a tea break. So, it, you know, it, it, so getting that data is that, and our, our thing is we've, got, we've done really well with numbers, people adopting our things. Well, what's really important? Are they making a difference? And if they don't make a difference, we will, you know, tweak it or change it or bin it because we want it to be yeah. honest and true sort of thing. It sounds like what you're doing is keeping the conversation at the forefront, basically, and just speaking to people, keeping your, you know, hands on the pulse and just really understanding what the needs of the communities that you serve are and how they can make that impact. And if it's not being made, like you say, I mean, you're willing to adapt, which in a way is agile and very innovative for a not-for-profit organisation, I must say. So that's really good. One of the exciting initiatives that you have also developed is My Name Is. It sounds as simple as just knowing how to pronounce someone's name correctly, right? But clearly this has a significant impact on making people feel valued if it's correct and their name pronounced properly. But sometimes, and actually most of the time, that doesn't actually occur. So what are you hoping to achieve from this initiative? Yeah, I think something you said at the beginning, you know, it sounds simple. And actually it is simple. Um, which is brilliant. And then I, I came around, and, you know, again, the ideas come from us, actually, what we do when we get new people join, we ask them how to say their name phonetically. And I've just done a small organization and that, that stuck with me. I guess by lived experience in a different way, you know, so because I sort of run quite a few um, meetings, events now, and I, you know, I've got speakers, you know, there are names that I find more challenging than other, others. And actually I'm thinking, hold on, I don't know how to say this name. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to say it right sort of thing. So, you know, I, I'm experiencing now, I've got two choices. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say the, the person's name and just carry on. And I'm sure they'll be polite and, and the thingy, or I'll ask them. I will say this was born and created within four or five days. 
uh, you know, I don't want to put it down, but that's that, that's how it happened. You know, we could have spent 18 years working on it. But what we what we did, I spoke to a few people about what happens if we phonetically spell our name. Would that make a difference? And 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 it, the the initial response was wow, absolutely. You know, oh god, that'll make, that'll make a difference for me or someone I know, or it's a problem all the time. I see it all every day. And you know, someone said, you know, I never thought about it. You know, it is a microaggression. It's the it's the human side of it. So the feedback we got from people. So we had this event, and over a hundred companies were there, um, different people. Sam Wong said with anglicised names and others not. But the but from from the audience, we asked, has your name been pronounced incorrectly? And it was seventy seven percent said yes. So so the majority oh. right. Then how did you know? How did it make you feel? You know, uh, and and it you know forty percent said it made them feel disrespected. An interesting one, you know, uh, um, about a third uh, or just under said they felt they they weren't welcome or they they, they didn't belong in that organisation. Now we got all these organisations saying, you know, we're a welcoming organisation, we're an inclusive organisation. But I'd love to ask them all. You do all these initiatives, sign all these charters, win all these awards, but do you check people's names as not, you know, across the board? Uh, you know, I'd be very surprised if, if you know, many do it. You know, this is damaging people. From thing, and then I think it's a quote or someone told me, you know, you're giving your name at birth, and they, you know, I spoke to a couple of people with African descent, and they said, you know, there's a meaning behind the name, you know, absolutely. I think one was called, you know, Empress of the Sun or something, you know, very important to that family. But you know, when she went to school and um, a job, you know, she's called something different, so her name has been taken away from her. And I spoke to a wonderful guy yesterday, Enea, and he he was saying that actually in his life he's he's called three names. And so he feels he's got split personality because he's different oh name in different places. So it does really affect people. And you know, how can you be your true self when you, you did it? And most people are polite. So, you know, and again, you know, if you're introduced to somebody and they say your name wrong, most people won't challenge it. Uh, or, and I know people, you know, from the ethnic minority and uh, um, community, you know, if they challenge it, it's kind of you're being awkward. You know, you know, they've got my name wrong. So, so we've noticed in the last sort of 12 months, um, pronouns has become quite on Vogue, you know, on, on social media and people, I've noticed on people's e- um, email footers. So why don't we do phonetic spellings of all our names? Yeah. And we tried this actually in, in this event. Um, so we got everyone just to write your name uh, as it is and then write your phonetic name under it. So everyone did it. And you could see, God, you know, how, how many we did. Yeah. Afterwards, we asked people, I think 88% think this will make a difference to race inequality, you know, overnight by just changing this. So what, what we're asking targeting is, you know, a thousand plus organizations. I think they should do it tomorrow. They'll have an excuse, um, you know, IT and all this sort of stuff. Okay, by Race Equality Week, two or three months away, <laughs> yeah. you all adopt having the phonetic names of your staff uh, on, on the footage. And actually, when you meet clients or suppliers and they get say who's coming in, again, you ask them phonetic for the name. So when you're introducing them, you know, the... Um, yeah, they they are felt welcome and warm. And actually, imagine how you, you know it'd be quite new and novel. You know, people will talk well about your organisation. So everyone I've spoken to, it's I've worked on some great campaigns you know, with with people. One of the biggest was the mental health and the green ribbon campaign. But I think this is the one that actually I'm going to say 101 percent of people think is a great idea. And, and why not? So really excited. You know, about to launch it soon. So. Um, yeah, th- thanks for bringing that. But it, it's so simple. But why hasn't anyone done it before? Well, this is it. But I think it is so simple and can easily be implemented. So there's no excuse. Come on, organisations. By February, we want to see this happen, right? All you tell Lydia. They can't argue action. now. <laughs> 
Awesome. Now your your favorite hashtag, which you said obviously you didn't come up with, but is is definitely regularly used associated with race quality matters, is hashtag never go back to normal. So we don't want to return to the way things were. Okay, it's not good enough. So how can organizations progress the conversation on race equality? What is ultimately what you're trying to achieve? Partly triggered by um, we're all going back to or people going back to offices and everything, but you know, been out a long time. And then actually, you know, the workplace is not normal anymore. I, you know, I don't know how many people will be going back five days a week to the office, you know, more people working from home. It's definitely there. I think there's opportunity for people with disability and um, you know, um carers, you know, to to because remote working is acceptable. But ironically, before then, no one could work from home. It wasn't allowed in principle, you know, it's it's exceptional, but suddenly overnight. Everyone, everyone can do it. And it's doing things different has made a huge difference. So what we're saying to organizations, when attacking race inequality, what are you doing? You're signing more charters. You know, are you having more lunch and learns? You know, of, you know I still say you know, food festivals, you know, I get it, but it doesn't make a difference, you know, on its own. Black mm. History Month, absolutely really important, but pop up once a year. So people should be asking themselves, and I think it was a Japanese thing called Kaizen, you know, it's improvements all the time constantly anything then just sort of come so organization if you're doing a black history month or you're doing this or doing that is it making a difference ask you but is it really making a difference yeah and um then you know we or other organizations have things if it's not so why not run it tea break and interestingly organizations do do a version of let's say tea break but i'm going to say people say well, it doesn't work here or we don't get many people turn up or you know it gets a bit aggressive or, or, what, or whatever or people aren't their true selves but actually it's mostly the way they're running it so we've you know we've got sort of and then tea break's got about you know nine ten steps of how to run it correctly we've done it in partnership with mental health first aid england to make sure people are looked after but it does enable honest challenging conversations but what it gives the organization an opportunity to really listen to its staff and they go, hold on, you know, so a really good example was um, an organization saying about, you know, the concept of banter. And when what they heard from their uh, ethnic minority employees, actually, quite often, what is banter is actually seen as a microaggression. It's uh, upsetting. And they hadn't realized the f- impact it was having on it. So, you know, they've now gone and sort of like done some training for all staff about the difference between banter and um, microaggression. So that's something different. They've listened to the staff and they've taken action. And I think I said take action, but what I do say is do ask your employees, those you're trying to bring back to equal, if that makes sense, if I can use that them words, um, is this meaningful? You know, not a blackout square, you know, we must do more. What's happened 12 months later? So, so I think the thing is, I would say, I, what are you doing different? And where's the evidence is making a, an impact? If not, don't do it. Don't waste your time. Learn from other organizations. You know, I think we, you know, one of our partners for race is BT, and they do some fantastic stuff in there that we can all learn learn from. You know, they've got lots that still trying to develop and learn, but there are elements of it. So again, that's what we're trying to do, bring everyone together to learn f- from each other. And we get, as I said, from our um the date, you mentioned data, you know, at the beginning of the event, yeah, you know, the majority of organizers are saying there's not enough impact on tackling race inequality in their organization. So their organization need to reflect, you know, you, you say you've done a hundred things. But your staff are saying it's not making a difference. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you, David. And, you know, such a motivational podcast. Any final words? I think we've had a wave of the, the emotions of, of, of ethnic minority employees in the last four months. I think there was real hope. 
then there's been dips and ups and dips. And, and the, the other day, I think Lead Up Blackish, I was hearing a lot of um, frustration, upset, we're tired, stories getting so just kind of going back, getting, going back to normal. But I ran an event yesterday called uh, Big Promise, and we had, I joined three mini round tables with, within it. But there were people in there that were actually, some good stuff was happening in their organization, typically driven by them. But, you know, you know if I could just, um, and what, what I was lucky, you know, these small groups, five or six, I was inspired, you know, and I, you know, I'm hearing about, and I thought, God, we need to cut and paste this and, and capture it, capture it and, and, and share it. And that's how these ideas come. So actually, you know, that, that room was energized. And the next room I went to, you know, it was energized. So, so there is a lot of pain. There's a lot of things. I think if we can all work together, this, this collaboration, work together, then, then, then that will create a change. So I think it's just hang on, hang on in there. And what we did, what we decided to do, those organizations and leaders that don't care, we're not going to change them. We can't. What we just have to do is, get the organizations that do care and change and then everyone will follow it will happen we see it in mental health no one will talk about it now literally on, on social media you hear mental health spoken every day and and that's a fantastic thing let's let's talk about you know where i don't know racism happened in my workplace every day and this is what happened you know negative thing happened you know a person was fired not you know um, i don't speak about it anymore so we what we want is, is, is these little slivers of things so i guess the final word is let's not give up let's keep working together and um you know race quality matters and collaboratory are are, are here for anyone that wants to join the, the movement absolutely hashtag now we must change for the better thank yeah. you so much David. it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to the Race Forward Pod. I'm your host, Lydia Igwe. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. Do visit us on social media at Race Forward Pod or visit our website, www.racefordpod.com. See you in the next episode.